as the crowds gathered and listened to Jesus, especially in his dealings with the Pharisees, they began to realize that the teachings of the rabbis, that which they had been following for so long, were in direct contrast to the teachings of Jesus concerning the issue of eternal salvation. The rabbis taught that God was offering salvation to all those who were born of the physical seed of Abraham, and that this gift of salvation was confirmed by the mark, the symbol of circumcision, and maintained by collectively adhering to the works of the law of Moses. They viewed it as being a salvation for the nation. But Jesus came along and taught that his heavenly Father offered personal salvation by grace, received only through faith in him as the promised Messiah. He spoke of a salvation from the wrath of God, from the power of sin over their lives, from condemnation and hell, and to a life that pleases God only by the exercise of faith. This was indeed a startling and staggering revelation. The concept of a salvation that was offered on an individual, personalized level, not as one that was obtainable because of national birthright, as a consequence of one's cultural heritage and adherence to the demands of the law. We are told that many followed after him as he walked throughout the countryside of Palestine, from the cities to the wilderness, to Capernaum and Nazareth and Jerusalem, beholding his miracles, his healing of the sick, the infirm, and the diseased. They were captivated as they listened to the words which he spoke with an authority unequaled by any they had ever heard before. They were amazed and astonished at his claims regarding his relationship to the Father, intrigued by his teachings which transcended the law of Moses, and curious as to his intentions regarding their Roman oppressors. But very few of this sizable crowd, relatively speaking, became his disciples and followed him all the way to the cross and beyond. It was becoming manifestly clear that there was something about this concept of salvation which Jesus offered that was too demanding for the vast majority of the crowds that surrounded him everywhere he went. It apparently became more and more evident as he continued his journey towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. For we are told that one day he was asked, Are there but a few that shall be saved? The circumstances were perfect. The question had been posed to him in as precise a manner as possible, straight to the point, and there could be no doubt, no confusion, no misunderstanding whatsoever as to what was being asked. Surely we might think he would tell them how he had come as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind, how he would accomplish everything necessary for their salvation, that there was no need to do anything but believe that he was the Son of God, and they would be swept into the kingdom one and all. Certainly this is what he would answer. For is that not the gospel message that so many proclaim today, that he did it all so we wouldn't have to do anything? But his response to the question that was put to him, are there few that be saved, was as pointed and deliberate and non-ambiguous as was the inquiry itself. For he replied, strive to enter in at the straight gate. In other words, we are to agonize, to make a great effort, to struggle, for these are the literal translations of the word strive that he used when he gave his response. And then he continued on to say, for many will seek to enter in, 
and shall not be able. No, it is not such an easy thing to be saved. Most certainly, salvation is all of faith, totally a gift of God and not of works. But it is not easy to the flesh, for it is contrary to the natural man and is from start to finish a spiritual warfare. No, it is not such an easy thing to be saved, and neither the Bible nor Jesus Christ himself mislead us to think that it is, for it demands of you nothing less than death to self. No, it is not such an easy thing to be saved, for it requires a continual pressing on, a taking of the kingdom with a fervent desire, by violence, as the Bible says elsewhere. Yes, we must strive. But here is the crucial point you must understand and not confuse what is being said with the concept that salvation is by works. We are not to strive to earn heaven. That is a free gift of grace from God that was bought for us by the precious blood of our Savior. But we are to exert our energies always towards a genuine effort towards heaven. We are to see the finish line set before us and to press always onward towards it. Aware of the pitfalls, the stumbling blocks, the sin that doth so easily beset us, the conflicts that we encounter by the continual demands of our old life, our flesh, and by those all around, the many, those who embrace this world and the things of it at the cost of their very souls. We are called to labor, striving according to his working, which works in us mightily, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, we are to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. No, it is not an easy thing to be saved for the double-minded, for those whose treasures are not in heaven but here below. However, there are so many who believe themselves to be Christians who obviously think otherwise, for they continue on day after day as though there were nothing to worry about, as though salvation required nothing more than a superficial consideration a token commitment to try and be a good person. They seem to presumptuously assume that they will arrive in heaven in spite of their carelessness regarding spiritual things, that they will ride in on the coattails of Jesus, so to speak. They act as though there should be no great difficulty for we who are dead in our sins, who are but the dust of the earth, who are carnally minded in all we say and do, who the Bible claims that every imagination of the thoughts of our hearts are only evil continually, they think there should be no difficult thing for us to become fit for an eternity in heaven with a holy God. The Bible and the men and women of the world speak very differently about how many will be saved. The Bible claims there will be, relatively speaking, few, but a remnant, whereas men of the world claim there will be many. I know that many will think this contradicts the mercy of God, the love to sinners which the gospel reveals. Yes, there is ample room in heaven for the many, even for the chiefest of sinners. There is no limitation to the willingness of Christ to receive the most ungodly. There is all sufficiency in the power of the Holy Ghost to renew the most unholy amongst us and to form Christ within us. Clearly the limitation lies not on God's part, but rather in the pride of man, in the unbelief of man, in the worldliness of man, in his desire to cling unto the perishable things of time rather than embracing those of eternity. Jesus says many will seek to enter in, but in vain do they attempt 
to pass through the straight gate, for it will not admit them. God is not unwilling to receive them. Their sins are not too many to be forgiven, but they are not willing to be saved God's way, not willing to be crucified to self. No, it is not an easy thing to be saved, for true salvation means so much more than most people realize. Salvation is not, as most people suppose, strictly deliverance from hell and admittance into heaven when we die. These are the effects, the consequences, the eventual outcome of being saved. We are delivered from hell because we are saved, and we enter heaven because we have been saved before we ever reach there. Our everlasting state is the effect of salvation in this life. Remember, Jesus is not referring to the atheist, to the non-believers, to those who don't know about the things he said, the great works and miracles he performed, and that he died on the cross for their sins. No, Jesus said, Many, many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. He is speaking of those who seek and find it, who have heard the way of salvation, who understand, who even claim that they believe, but they are never able to enter. They are those who think just because they know who Jesus is, have heard him teach in their streets, that in the day of judgment they shall enter in. But it's not our knowing him that is so important as much as him knowing us in our desire to submit ourselves to him and our yearning for him to search us, to know our hearts, to try us and know our thoughts, to see if there be any wicked way in us, and to lead us in the way everlasting. You must strive to enter in. Desire it above all else. Count all else as dung, that you might lay hold to that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold to you. You must strive that you may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that if by any means you may attain to the resurrection from the dead, this is salvation. You may not want to hear it, but our Lord has said it. It's hard to get in. It's not easy. It's difficult, for it's the way of the cross. Even when you've heard the truth, it's difficult to embrace that truth, to make a commitment to that truth. In fact, for the natural man, it's not only difficult, it is impossible. We always look at things from our perspective. We say, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is totally backwards. For we must learn to view our salvation from God's perspective. He says, I have accomplished everything myself by offering myself as man. I have given myself as a sacrifice in blood, died as man, ascended as man. But do you think there is nothing left in your obtaining heaven, in acquiring salvation, but that I have died for you? If this were the case, then no man or woman need do anything. For I have said, it is finished. But what is finished is that I have made the way for you, for I am the way. I have given you the straight gate, but there is more. For I must dwell in you by my spirit to lead and guide and purify you. This is salvation. This and nothing less.